Well, welcome to the Memoirs of Abiding podcast. I'm Chris Bryant. We wanted to start something a little different and counter to what many have been taught or learned through experience. Our topics will be practical and theological, focusing on what the early church thought. What we are going to talk about isn't some new idea, but rather an old idea gaining traction again. Our tell is sharing our experiences and looking at the Bible in this material. Our ask is that you will take it into your own devotion time and ask the Lord how to best apply it. We will talk about this material each week, and we have blogs addressing practical applications at www.memoirsofabiding.com. We hope you experience God through talking about His Word with us. Welcome back for our last episode of Idols in Our Lives. We're going to be talking about relationships today, and I am here with Ricky Brooks from the great Pac Norwest. Ricky, welcome. It sounds like a Navy term. Pac, it is, yeah. Pac Norwest. <laughs> uh, that is true. <laughs> For those of you that have never been on a naval base, which where I live is a, a magnificent one, Bangor Naval Base, you just have to be there to understand what we just got through talking about. <laughs> Every large sign has words like that. Okay, well, thank you, Chris, for continuing to invite me. I, you, uh, you encourage me. You help me to feel accepted, significant, and secure. <laughs> so I appreciate. I appreciate that very much. Well, great. Yeah, and for the uninitiated, the Pacific Northwest. There we go. <laughs> so we've talked about marriage and family. We've talked about materialism, about performance, and the entertainment or pleasure side. And this one with relationship, I wanted to look at relationships as a whole, but even more so focusing on the romantic connection relationships that are a big driver for many individuals uh, in our culture today. So the first question I want to ask is, why is there such a great pull to be pulled into specifically in romantic or in dating relationships, even if we know it may not go anywhere, but what's that pull? What's that drive from, Ricky? What do you think? Well, I think it's very much similar to all of the other conversations we've had regarding the internal, uh, internal, not eternal, internal drive of a human being. Our soul's will not tolerate a vacuum. They just won't. We, we are designed to pursue meaning in our lives. And meaning gives us purpose. And purpose and meaning in our life gives us a sense of satisfaction, of delight, of some of the words that we oftentimes bring up in these conversations about abiding with the Lord Jesus and, you know, to feel secure and significant and all of those kind of things to belong, to not feel left out. Um, otherwise those big giant questions, the philosophers have been asking for the longest of time, you know, who am I? What am I? Where am I? Is this all there is? Whether we ask those through clear articulation or just the happenstance of our life, we're all asking those questions. And those questions sometimes get answered by 
things that are very temporary. And those are the things we fill our soul with. And relationships, that's the case. And so the romantic relationship, regardless of how you define that romantic relationship, is a core part of all of humanity for all of history and every culture. I suppose there are a few outliers, but then you have to use the word outlier, right? Yeah. I think there's always going to be somebody who's a, a, a true consummate loner who somehow, some way doesn't crave that kind of connection. But they are, they're significantly statistically in a giant minority. Yeah. yeah, and when you say no matter how you define it, I mean, we can look at so many different situations. We can look for the one night stands that someone perpetually falls into. We can look at the the speed dating or the blind dating or the internet dating where it's only over texting or messaging and they are just emotionally connecting with another person or sexually physically connecting with another person or even if it's not even that but just having the other person meet them at the park or go go to coffee and just have another person there i think those are even there's plenty more that we can add to that but i think those are some of the few that when you said that phrase no matter how you define it those were kind of the the situations that came to mind is that kind of what you were meaning well, I think the, those particular types of connections that you just mentioned clearly help us to understand how deep this runs. Because some people would say, well, that's not a, that's not a grab for meaning or purpose. And I'd beg to differ. You know, even the one night stand is, is a demonstration that a person is looking for something. And I know that people will disagree. Some people want to argue and shrug their shoulders and say, no, it's just a cheap, you know, fun time. You know, but you and I know a lot of people and everybody knows a lot of people. When you really talk to somebody up close and personal, a person who engages in that type of behavior, and it's why universally it's been demonstrated, it's been considered immoral and from our perspective, a biblical perspective, it certainly is. It's because it is a cheap way of fending off the emptiness. I just got to be in somebody. I got to be touched. I got to be held. I got to be. I got to sure. be involved. I, I, you know, and and, and even if and if even if it means I substitute a physically pleasing sensation for a wonderful, satisfying relationship. Well, at least I'm not nothing. At least I'm not empty. At least I'm not broken. At least I'm shaking my fist at the establishment. At least I'm saying, you know, I did it my way, like Frank Sinatra said. Frank Sinatra, yeah. Oh, you know, at least I'm doing that. I, you know, I will define who I am, Buster. Well, <laughs> That's the story of Genesis chapter three. Yeah. And I'm wondering if, you know, I've talked to plenty of our groups about this and I, and I feel like there's a pretty big connection when you see the curse that comes upon Eve 
after the garden in Genesis 3, we can really start to see, you've talked about it before when we mentioned this, but that manic level of need for her husband. And I'm, I wonder just as women and, and even men do this too, but as, as women, as they walk through this life, if they're not deeply connected with Christ and feeling completely fulfilled in that relationship, if that curse isn't the one that's put upon their flesh, that's just driving towards having someone to fulfill that part of their flesh's need of the desire. I, I can't think it's, it's coincidental, but it does seem to play a part. Well, yeah, you're referring to Genesis chapter three, verse 16. And for those that are uninitiated, this is kind of the, the, the concluding section of the story of the fall of man. And as Adam and Eve are being expelled from the Garden of Eden, God says something to both the man and the woman. To the woman, she says, unto the, unto the woman, he said, I'll greatly multiply thy so your sorrow and your conception. In sorrow you shall bring forth children, and your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. That word desire, if most people read that in English, they go, well, that's a good thing. That's, you know, that's that romantic desire. But that's not what this word desire means. It's more akin to, I think you used the word manic, and I would agree with that. It's an obsession. It's an obsessive, compulsive, uh, bordering on a personality sickness type of desire. It's a it's a strong drive and need. Well, having dispensed with the creator as the ultimate maker and marker of meaning and purpose, who was left? Well, Adam. And anything that is not God is somehow temporary and insufficient. No matter how good another person is, they can never ultimately fill the hole in your soul. And, and somebody could say, well, uh, that doesn't make sense. Well, you think about how long ago this book, the Bible, was written. And even if that was not given to us by God, which, of course, it was, if it wasn't, that is borderline some kind of miraculous, if there's a, the ability to have miracles apart from God. That is so insightful that she would crave this. She'd have this over this driving need that would produce nagging and, and, and compelling him to be better and better, do this, do that, to fulfill her needs. And in any moment that he fails, she feels terrible about herself. That, you know, so you just think that the, that people who lived thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago just had that kind of insight all on their own. If you don't believe in, you know, God communicating to humanity, well, show me that in any culture that has lived without God's presence for generation after generation, you won't find it. So it's, it's a compelling argument about the nature of mankind. And 
there's just as, you know, if you go back and read Genesis, the man has his own issues and God talks about that as well. But yeah, but it is a good illustration of what we're talking about. If you're, if we're zeroing in on romantic relationships, it's a drive because we need another person to help us feel better about ourselves. We need something. And the romantic experience is one of the, one of the biggies. You know, lots of money is another one. <laughs> a roof over our head is another one. Uh, you know, looking groovy and cool and hip, beautiful and handsome are, are also. But some kind of romantic connection is, whatever how you define it, good or beautiful, bad and ugly, uh, it's the driver. You can't, you can't get away from it. And if... And if for believers and, and others who are contemplating the things we've been talking about, if you don't abide in the Savior who, who addresses these things up close and personal, then, you know, there's nothing left for you. So King Solomon said in the Old Testament, you know, pursue all that stuff with gusto because you don't have anything else. Of course, that was... Is that the Ricky translation? Secondary. Yeah, <clears throat> but his point was, if you don't know God, you might as well just go ahead and do all these things that I did when I was in, in that's what he said. Yeah. And when I was seeking and trying to find meaning in life, I did all that. And he was rich and he was powerful and he could do it in ways that nobody else could. And he addressed it in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he said, oh, that's emptiness. I never did find meaning in any of that. I, I just found nothing but holes in all of that. Vanity and vexation. Yeah, yeah. But if you don't have God, you don't have anything else. So just go on ahead, and eat, drink, and be merry. Yeah. But I haven't. But you know. But he had. But he he then addressed it completely and said, "But there is a different way. There's a different way." So you've kind of answered this this next question. What is it about relationships that bring us this temporary happiness, masks sadness, or gives us something to fill our hole in our soul? I think you you addressed a, a couple of those, but also like the feeling and you hear it in the the perpetual love stories that make up the Hallmark channel and, and all of those. But it's the feeling of being alive, like someone else is noticing me. Someone else yeah. wants to know me. I'm feeling known. I'm feeling seen. I'm feeling heard. Therefore, I'm feeling loved in that moment. And that's. That's easy to mask the pain of the past because I can not think of that stuff and I can like I can solely focus on the feeling that I'm feeling in that moment, right? And it, as I go forward and I go forward, hopefully that continues. But the day that it doesn't continue, I'm reminded of all those past hurts. And then either I need to find someone new who will rekindle that feeling inside of me or... I have to make sure that this person knows that they need to change so that they can, you know, be put in that place of making me feel okay to another way of saying it is that's their drug. Their relationship is their drug of choice that they just, they can, they're addicted to it. They have to, they have to continually have someone speaking quote unquote life into them because if, if they don't have that, then they're reminded of all of what they've lost, all of the sorrows in life, whether it was done to them or whether it's something that they had done. 
regardless of that, it has nothing to do with where it came from, but it still left a scar and that scar rubs and it agitates and it hurts and they want something to, to focus on the gate theory, right? If I, if I have a pain in my right hand and I, I press really hard on my left hand, my brain interprets the left hand at the same time it determines, right? It, it reduces or mitigates the pain. And I think a lot of people use relationships for that. And it may not even be romantic relationships. This is, this is someone who can make their life all about the party, right? They always have the friends over. They never have a dull moment because they're the party starter. And they have all these friends that are constantly coming into their life. And again, going back to the, the socially accepted sins or the socially acceptable sins, this may look good on the outside. Oh, Chris is really extroverted. He always wants people over at his house. You know, he's always making people feel better. But the reason why is because maybe Chris can't be alone. Because then Chris has to, you know, reconcile all of the, the junk in his life. And therefore, I can put that off as long as I have friends till like midnight and then I pass out. And then the next morning I wake up and we go out to the beach or we go hang out. And it's like this perpetual state of being busy with other people because I need to escape. Yeah. Yeah, well said. But I think you can actually spin that all the way or run that all the way to the other end of the spectrum. A person can meet another person. Uh, they become infatuated with each other. They quote unquote fall in love, and and one or the other will then begin to maneuver into an exclusive arrangement. They don't need all those other people. They don't need the party life. Sure. They need this one person in the quietness of their their home or whatever, and and they get the same impact internally in their souls as the person who's out all the time with a bunch of people, you know, so extroverted and introverted um, are in, they're doing the very same thing, but notice they're always doing it in, co in connection with somebody else. They have that, that need to have that relational connection, um, you know, and, Hopefully, people, you know, they get lucky and they meet somebody that really fills them up inside, right? That's really good to them. And they have a great relationship. And all of the trouble that we hear about through psychology or sociology and certainly through biblical studies are absent from a person's life because that other person gives them the meaning and drive and purpose that they need. Well, that's awesome. It's wonderful. We applaud that. And everybody should applaud it because that's the kind of loving relationship we should have with someone else. But once again, it's temporary. You know, there's going to come a day when there's a loss. You know, there's going to come a day when there's a huge loss. When that loss comes, then what? You know, then what? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's almost a, 
it's almost a, a teaser for serial monogamy. You know, a person will be monogamous until something goes haywire, the loss occurs. Then they find somebody else and they're monogamous for another batch of years until something goes haywire. It could be divorce or bad relationship or death or, you know, but then they find another one. They're monogamous again. So they could even, you know, they could even be following biblical protocols. They're not sleeping around, right? But it doesn't make that any different in the fullness of the meaning of where is our ultimate dependency at? Is it in our creator or is it in the creation? Every time it's in the creation, it's going to be subject to some serious road bumps. And I, I want to address that one in a little bit, but you talked about doing the serial monogamy and, and what happens when that loss comes. Well, let's talk about some of the fears that might be associated with this idol, this, this deep seated need in our life. Couple that I thought of fear of loneliness. I hear a lot of single parents talk about that. Just a fear of being lonely or a fear of being unlovable or not being accepted. Those are kind of some of the ones that came to my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, fear of not fitting in with others. Um, and one that I hear a lot because um, I, I think most church people know that pastors are involved in a lot of marriage issues marriage counseling, um, premarital advice, stuff like that, postmarital advice. Um, one of the one of the fears that I see driving people into quote unquote intimate romantic relationships is their fear of not having sex. I'm just gonna state it. It's just, Oop, you went there. It's a big driver. Uh, I just do not want to live a life, a sexless life. Neither do I blame them. I totally get that. You know, I, I totally understand it. You know, I, I'm a widower and been widowed for over 20 years. And, uh, and I've, not been physically intimate with anybody. I was at lunch one time with a friend of mine. And <laughs> he said, well, I'm not like you, Ricky. Like, what do you mean? He said, I, I need to have sex. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you're not like me. <laughs> I'm not like you. <laughs> and, uh, he goes, no, I'm not like you. <laughs> and I said, I, I'm going to agree with you that you're not like me, but not for the reason you think. It's kind of like that line from, what is it, from, uh, uh, what was that bride movie? Uh, Indio, Indigo, Indio Montoya. Oh, Princess Bride. Say, Princess Bride. And he would say, what is that word you keep using? I don't think that word means what you think it means. Yeah. <laughs> It was kind of along those lines. I, I'm gonna. I'm definitely in agreement with you, but not for the reason you think. Uh, 
but but I think it demonstrated what we're talking about here. And and it was he was he continued to be in he was involving himself in in hurtful relationships and and he just said it because I, I want to have sex. And uh, and then but he was misguided in the idea that you know there's some of us that don't need that. Well, um, it's not that I don't need it or don't want it. Uh, I just want it with one person. And she's no longer with me. It's just that simple. Yeah, that's where that's where I want my intimacy to be. And and um, and then so then people say, well, then you know, why is it? Isn't it unfair for you to live a lonely life? No, I, uh, I don't live a lonely life. This is the very thing we're talking about. Those fears are out there, right? We're we're addressing them. Loneliness, the fear of being unlovable or not accepted, fear of not fitting in with others, or this fear of not having sexual intimacy. But remember what we're talking about, abiding in Christ, right? You know, where is the deepest, deepest, deepest hole in a person's soul finally, finally filled with the everlasting love, the the unbreakable love, the eternal love, that can never happen with another human being. Not completely. It can be wonderful, like it, like I had with my wife and many, many, many thousands and millions of people have with their spouses. They could be filled in friendship and work and people get great meaning from all of those, but it can never be permanent. It can never be complete. So even the fear of not having sex again, while certainly understandable, it's still a driver for emptiness, which is one of the key definitions of sin, missing out on, on God, right? It's not necessarily, you know, it's not evil. It's... Well, it is if it's outside the outside the boundaries that have been established for marriage. But the desire, you know, it's common, it's normal, it's a part of being human. But it just it it will never satisfy a person's longings. It just won't. Um they, and then all of those bring us back to one that we always talk about, and that's whole that whole issue, the fear of security in life. I don't mean just financial security. I mean, just the sense of being secure as a person. Sure. Feeling, feeling significant, feeling accepted, feeling worthy. Feeling secure in an identity, worthy. right? Yeah. Yeah. My identity is, is secure. I, I have purpose in life. I have meaning in life. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, so, I imagine there are other, other fears, but you know, I think those are the biggies. Yeah, I agree. And I think if they're outside of this, then they fall into these categories. But there may be more. And, I mean, if you guys come up with other ones, please feel free to head on over to the memoirsofabiding.com and under the podcast, put a comment and state maybe some of the ones we missed or, you know, you can share anonymously on there as well. But I want to drive now into the contrasted. So we continue to focus on abiding as our as our goal. 
But let's take the idea of maybe not even a, a romantic relationship, but just that connection of the party guy, the guy who always have or the girl who always has their friends around. They're hosting all these parties. They have people together. How does this contrast with the person who is with a body of believers through a congregation in church that like we can read in Acts and Acts 2 and Acts 3? Like how... How do we have this healthy balance between, yes, having people in my life and being a part of them versus having them within the community of believers in a biblical sense? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And it, and it, it goes to the whole issue of, of the definition of working biblical thorough theology of sin. Because we always think of sin as a, a bad thing we do, an evil thing we do. We told a lie, we stole something, somebody committed adultery, sure. uh, somebody gossiped and ruined another person's reputation. And, and that's true, it's just not sufficiently complete. A lot of the things that we do in life, the, action, the actions and the emotions can live on both sides of a coin if one side of the coin is spirit and the other side is flesh. So I can have anger, right? And my anger can be righteous indignation over a true wrong towards me or maybe somebody else. I can also have anger, and that anger can come from self-righteousness or selfishness. The first anger, righteous indignation, is not sin because it's motivated by godly desire. For instance, if I always think in terms of being a dad, you know, if I if I was walking with, you know, back in the day I was walking with, you know, say Jessica, my daughter at 10 years of age, and you know, and some somebody came up and just grabbed my daughter by the arm, you know, started shouting at her for whatever reason, you know, because maybe, I don't, know, I don't know, maybe she dropped her gum wrapper or something like that. And they just yelling and screaming, right? Yeah. They grab her by the they grab her by the arm and start shaking her. Well, well, trust me, my righteous indignation is indignation is hitting my heart soul spirit mind and every other aspect of me instantaneously about to go david and goliath on him exactly and when he's on the ground groveling and the folks standing around are wondering why he's on the ground groveling i i just say in a very you know firm voice you ever touch my daughter again and they'll be digging a hole in that spot in the ground oh <laughs> Now, you know, and people go, hey, man, you can't say stuff like that. Well, that's what righteous indignation does. It drives you to protect the ones you love. At all costs, you will sacrifice your life for righteous indignation. And that's a good thing. But there's a counterfeit to it. There, there's a counterfeit to it. Now, suppose my daughter is just being a sorry little brat. And she just goes sassing off on some nice lady who's being nothing but polite. And I haven't trained my daughter very well. And 
And so my little daughter just, you know, says some just incredibly rude things and even cusses at the lady. And the lady goes, hey, young lady, you don't get to talk to me like that. And then the lady turns to me and says, what's wrong with you? What kind of father are you? And then I get mad and angry and I shout at the woman more than my daughter did. That's not righteous indignation. That's just sinful anger. So a lot of these things that we do in life have the good side, the spiritual side, and the bad side, the flesh side that comes from the old habituations before we know Jesus, the way of the world apart from God. So when we have relationships, they could be profoundly good, but they can be good because we need them so bad we build them, we accentuate them, and if they go away, we're devastated. Or we can build them, we can accentuate them, because the people we're involved in that relationship with are created by God, designed by God, loved by God. They inherently have dignity and and out of respect for them and God, and our desire to live a life that makes their life better, we learn to love them and be loved by them in a balanced way because we have horizontally, because we have an abiding relationship with God vertically. And so now in that sense, we go, well, we need one another in these relationships because God caused, created us to be human, to interact with one another. Now we need each other to fulfill our God-given purpose with one another, as opposed to, I need you because without you, I'm nothing. And so the words are the same. What drives them is different. And so whether it's church or friendship circles or family circles or romance circles, when those relationships are based on mutual dignity and respect because we're the children of God, because we individually have great relationships with God and we're doing it the way we're designed to, just as Jesus said, as I abide in my father, you abide in me. There's a perfect relationship with God, the father, son, and Holy spirit and God, the father, son, and Holy spirit use the same terms with one another that they invite us to use. They invite us into this family. Now, everyone in the relationships other than God is filling their needs in the one place it can be fulfilled and we're doing it together. So we're growing closer to God together. And by growing closer and closer to God together, we grow closer and closer to one another. So every time in a church circle or a friendship circle or a family circle or romance circle, we do the opposite and stop growing closer to God, we stop abiding in our walk with God, we think we might be growing closer to our loved one, but we're actually falling further apart. I think I answered your question. Yeah, no, in, in summarizing that, my thought was even shorter, but what is the root of the reason for the relationship? Is it to fill a deep need in myself, like we talked about with our fears, 
or is it mutually edifying, talking about the Lord and building each other up in the Lord? What's the focus? I would I remember when I was in high school, my church they came out with this like wagon wheel and they showed Jesus in the center and then all the alls came off of it. Vocational, relational, financial, physical, emotional, spiritual, all of the alls were like the wagon spokes. So then is my relationship centered on Christ and it's driving towards them or is it my need to, to, to be connected? Great example that I see in my life is a lot of single parents. They just need to, to message someone else. They, I, and I, I was in that boat like in 2019. I had to text someone. And when they didn't automatically text me back, it was like, why, why, why aren't they texting me? Why? Why? It's 11 o'clock at night. They should be awake. They should be texting me. I need connection right now. And I needed connection, but it was wrong connection. And it wasn't even in a relationship thing. It was just like, tell me about your day, please, something. So then the contrast in my own mind is, am I doing that because I need that connection? Or am I doing it because I want to build up my relationship with Christ along with others right next to me? The other thing that I can think of is the bearing each other's burdens, right? When we are sharing with others, I can either share because I want pity and sympathy, or I can share in the the hope that others can help me carry this load like um, Paul talks about in Galatians. Uh, I think Galatians 6.2, I think is, yeah, 6.2, he says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So the whole idea of what we can do within those relationships is centering around Christ. So what's the center? Me or Christ? And that's kind of and when I think about that contrast in two situations. The one that's centered around Christ is going to fulfill the requirements, fulfill the law of Christ in that. Yeah, and that's spot on. I mean, that that's what that that whole idea that we talk about socially unaccepted sin and socially acceptable sin you know the unacceptable sin is are the biggies you know you, you ought not steal from each other you shouldn't punch a person out for no reason you know you shouldn't commit adultery uh, you shouldn't create acts of espionage you shouldn't wreck a person's career or reputation you know all that kind of stuff you know it's just this is evil right don't do don't do that stuff but then that's not the full definition of sin, just doing bad stuff, evil stuff. Sin is when we literally find meaning and purpose in something other than God because it is ultimately idolatry. And it's not so much that God's on a big ego trip. He's not. <laughs> He's just stating the facts, you know. In a world that I created, to live as though I'm not a part of it, to live as though the best thing you could ever do is be in a relationship with me, uh, you know, speaking on behalf of God in first person. Trust me, my children, that's not my ego. <laughs> that's that's my love for you. That's my desire for you. It's that, you know, 
come and walk with me and everything about your life in this universe will be better. And when you, you, when you walk away, you, you, you walk away from the very design and purpose that all of this even exists. And as a result, you miss the mark with God. So when we fill ourselves up on the things, even the good things that God gives us, it's still idolatry. Not idolatry in the way that we typically think of it, you know, like bowing before some pagan temple idol, but filling the hole in our soul with all these other things rather than with God. Because we can we can fill up on them to the beauty and the wonder and the magnificence that God created them for, and they will be fuller than we could have ever dreamed of them. All the romance gets better. All the business arrangements get better. All the church relationships get better. Every relationship gets, gets better when it's on that side of the coin that we call spiritual. Yeah, um, I think what you, the way you put it is absolutely true. That way, when I receive something from other people, I receive it in the right framework, the right frame of mind. And when I give something, I give it in the right frame of mind. Um, and vice versa with other people. It's a mutual love connection where, you know, the, really the only arguments we end up having, if we could work that out perfectly, would be, oh, well, today I'm going to be nicer than you, Chris. And then you say, oh, nay, nay, Ricky, I'm going to be nicer to you. Oh, well, beat this. Here's a thousand nay, nay. dollars. <laughs> Here's a thousand dollars. And you go, oh, no, uh-uh. Uh, here's a thousand back and I up you a thousand dollars. Not that you and I've ever exchanged thousands of dollars. Like no. That. no, not at all. <laughs> I don't want to give anybody the wrong idea, uh, but, uh, but in a marriage, you know, uh, honey, where would you like to go out to eat? Oh no, no. Where, where would you like to go out to eat? You know, and, and it becomes playful. It becomes, it, it's romantic, you know, because I, if our, if our needs are met, first and foremost in God, then all those relationships are made better. Oftentimes draw like in conversation where I have access to the ability to illustrate something, I think you draw a, a, a triangle and at the, the top of the triangle, an equilateral triangle pointing upward, at the very top is God, you know. And at the two bases, at the corner, at the, at the extreme edge of each of the base, is one person and at the other side is the other person, say husband and wife. When they go up the, the, the side of the triangle that takes them closer to God, right? Then as they both go up, they both grow closer and closer to one another as they grow closer to God. And the closer they grow, grow to God, the closer they grow. Yeah, and Ricky, with that, Pyramid, and I love the the well, not even pyramid, just the triangle. And I, I've always, not always. I think I heard you say that to me maybe two or three years ago. It makes perfect sense. But in the contrast, which was kind of what we're saying here, the same couple can grow closer and closer to each other, but never ever get any closer to the Lord. That's the other yeah, side of that triangle. Yeah, it, Exactly. If they stay on that bottom line down there at the bottom, at the base of the triangle, they will, they can get closer to one another. But then that's, that's the definition of Adam and Eve after the fall. 
And now they will desire, you know, neurotically from one another. You know, they are now forced into a situation where they have to meet the demands and the needs and the cravings of the other person. And when they don't, when they're not like God for one another, then all hell breaks loose, literally, right? Yeah. So then abiding through all of this, I mean, we, we've, I think we've painted a really good picture of it all. So abiding through, we've talked about where the root is. I mean, even, even in the situations and if you are, I don't want to say addicted, but if you are driven by the constant dating game, or if you're, if you're driven by the constant need to have people in your life like it's not okay for you to just go to dinner by yourself or go to a movie by yourself that was one of the key indicators in my own life when i realized that that i needed someone else i felt almost ashamed to go to dinner by myself or to go to a movie by myself it was just beyond fathomable but now i can look and i can say you know what i enjoy going on a date by myself i i date myself in that I go there and I, I can kind of have a good time just by myself. And I'm an extreme extrovert. Anyone who knows me generally sees that. But what helped me was seeing that first and then all of a sudden saying, Lord, I'm trying to find meaning in all these other people. Help me first to secure my identity, to secure my, my desires, my needs in you. And then allow me then to invite other people into that so that I'm already on that foundation. I'm solidly standing on his cornerstone and not on the, the sand, the shifting ground. Because relationships change and they go, just like you said. And it goes back to Jesus' parable of building your house on the rock or on the sand. Do we want to build our house on the sand so when the, the waves and the the rain and the torrents come and it washes out the foundation or do we build it on the rock so that when the, when the rains come and the water comes and the waves come, they go right around the house. I mean, that's, that was a big thing for me to see in my own life just a few years ago that I was able to bring to the Lord and say, Hey, help me. And even now, if I, if I find myself needing to, to hang out with people on the weekends when I don't have my kids in town, it's like, Whoa, Lord, hold on. Let me take a minute. Let me just be okay with where I am, with what I have. And then once I'm secure in that, then I can say, okay, maybe now I can invite someone into that. Or I'll just use this time uh, to worship the Lord through prayer, through just taking a walk. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, that's, that is absolutely right. And it's the, if, if we brought it back to the, the one particular relationship that, seems to be talked about the most with reference to this type of issue in marriage, which is only natural because that's where God goes to. In uh, the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, he wrote to the husband and the wife about submission. And he used the actual word submission when he says to the lady, well, actually before that, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for God. Everybody, submit to each other like you submit to God, right? So, so live for one another. Then he uses the same word. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And you go, uh-oh, now we're, being, now we're talking about the submissive wife. But it, it, in that context, it's important to understand that 
the folks there, the ladies there, they probably didn't care to be submissive because they were owned by their husbands probably in you know some way or shape or form. But God transforms us is what God's word is telling us there. You can live a different life now. But then he turns immediately to the husbands and says, husbands, you love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now he doesn't use the word submit, but he uses the word love, the Greek word agape. So it does mean love, but it, loves, it means love in a unique way. Love sacrificially, love completely, love without measure. This is the same word for love that we read about when in the Gospel of John it says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. God loves us so much that he makes the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. He now turns to the marriage relationship and he says to the husband, now husband, you love your wife with the ultimate form of love. You would give your life completely for her, not, not just, you know, heroically, physically stand in the way of a bullet or back then a spear or whatever, but in every measure, put her first. That's a far greater term for submission than the actual word submission. So everybody submit to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, you uber submit. Uber. <laughs> Let me make this crystal clear. You love her like God loves the church. And that's what it says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Jesus demonstrate his love for us? Well, everybody knows. A few verses later, he kind of wraps that little section up by saying, but, you know, I'm not really talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and the church. So this romantic, awesome relationship that so oftentimes gets up is made up of the demands and the needs of our of our less than desirable self. If lived in the abiding way with Christ becomes the world's greatest model for the love of God for us. So it can become a mission. It becomes evangelistic. It becomes a missionary relationship as well as a romantic relationship. It fits the perfect model that God started with in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Yeah. And that happens when we abide together in Christ. As Jesus loved the church, so we should love one another. We can only do that when we abide in one that's fantastic. So as we close this one out, just realizing, looking for indications, the warning signs in our lives of when these deep-seated feelings towards the idol of relationship come up, we can counter it with just seeking God for those same things, finding out what it is we need from those other individuals and asking God to supply those. So let's close out there, um, and then we'll close out our month on idolatry. And um, yeah, and and let's pray, you know, specifically over all of the idols as we we close this out. So um, let me let me pray for us, Lord God. I pray for all of those who are listening, for Ricky, for myself. I pray that you will use your Spirit to move in our lives 
to bring up these idols that we have and to help us to, to know that they exist. And then help us, Lord, to, to center those deep-seated desires, those needs that we have that we're using these idols like relationships or family or marriage or performance or pleasure or even materialism, whatever we're trying to get from those to fill in our lives, God, I pray that you can fill that instead and that we will submit our lives so that you will fill those instead. Lord, I pray for each and every one of these idols and even idols that we didn't cover, Lord, that you are the the, the chain breaker and that you're the chain breaker in their lives, Lord, that they will no longer be a slave to that idol, Lord, but instead they can find freedom and eternal life and being slaves of righteousness, which is so much greater and better to have a loving God who supports us. And I just pray that they'll find that, that they can desire that, they can seek you in that, Lord, and give them the strength to do that, Lord. As, as we've talked in the past, that sometimes us trying to do that by a sheer will is, is impossible. And it's through your strength, Lord, that we can do that. So I pray over all of our our brothers and sisters on here that you will move in a mighty way and that your name may be glorified through it, Lord, that they can shout and rejoice with their brothers and sisters in Christ in their church or in their groups, Lord, that they can just celebrate that the idol was broken and that instead it fell at your feet, the arms fell off like the statue of Dagon in their own lives. And instead, Lord, they can worship you and and bring that adoration to you. So we, we love you, Lord. We love that you are Jehovah Jireh, the one that supplies our needs, not just our physical needs, Lord, but even those emotional, those spiritual needs that we have and, um, and, and the mental needs that we need, Lord. You can fulfill each and every one of those. So we're thankful that you are a God that's powerful enough to do that. And we praise you in your mighty name. We want to end with an important scripture that reminds us to abide in him. John 14:23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loved me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. As you walk through this week, we encourage you to review the scriptures and themes we talk about and ask the Holy Spirit to team up with you to bring this information to life, personally, in your walk. Thank you for listening, and God bless.